This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger, and good morning. Yes, a little warmer in Scottsdale, Arizona, 59 degrees at 3 o'clock in the morning here in the Valley of the Sun. And uh, we truly have a national half hour coming up on the Saturday morning show because I'm working out of WGN West in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're going to be talking to a gentleman in Washington, D.C. with the National Pork Producers Council. And, of course, we've got uh, Bob Ferguson, our engineer, back at WGN in Chicago. He's the glue that holds all of this together. And uh, through it all, we'll depend on Bob to make the magic happen as we come from all over the country, really, this morning. And uh, we, uh, of course, in the Valley of the Sun, the spring training season is over, so the baseball fans have left town, but it's Easter break, Easter Sunday, spring break, everything else, so it continues to be a very busy place this time of the year. But some place that is not going to be busy this time of the year, well, coming up in about four or five weeks, won't be as busy as usual. That's Des Moines, Iowa, home of the World Pork Expo that started in 1987. And uh, for the first time in all of those years of history, there will not be a National Pork World Pork Expo this year come June. Uh, We'll go into the reasons why it has been canceled and talk about some of the other challenges facing the pork industry. All of that coming up when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It is 10 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to uh, go to Washington, D.C. to talk about the decision made by the National Pork Producers Council earlier this week in Washington. And uh, the reason it came from there, uh, we'll talk about an event that involved pork producers traveling to our nation's capital and uh, all of that uh, here on the Saturday morning show. Markets today, we'll be talking to Arlen Suderman, FC Stone International, uh, one of our favorite analysts and market watchers, and uh, he'll have some interesting things to say about the pork situation in China and about crop conditions and maybe late spring planting here in the United States. But right now, let's go to Washington, D.C. And here's a gentleman that I asked to get up early, and he said, I think I put, I think I put the question this way. Would you like to get up early in the morning and chat with me and my WGM listeners? And he said, no, not really. But I said, will you? And he said, yes. So Jim Monroe, Senior Director, Communications, National Pork Producers Council, What's the weather like in Washington, D.C. this morning? 
Well, I can't tell because it's still dark outside, but I am very happy to be here. I want you to know that. I was very happy to get up and talk to you and your listeners. Well, I appreciate it very much because I think, as I told you in our conversations this week, it was a bombshell as far as I'm concerned and uh, getting reaction from other people who are listeners. I think many of them felt the same way. So take me to the beginning of the discussion and when it was finally decided there would be no World Pork Expo 2019. How did it go? Well, I I think it really begins back in August of 2018, last year, when the first report of African swine fever in China uh, came out. As you know, that that's that is China is home to the world's largest swine herd, and since that time, the the disease has ravaged that country's swine herd, and uh, with it so prominent in China and in other parts of Asia. The, the risk of it spreading to other regions of the world just goes up significantly. And while we don't believe that there is much chance at all that uh, African swine fever would spread to the United States because of World Pork Expo, we just decided to exercise extreme caution and cancel the event. And uh, we think we think it was the right decision. It was a, a, a decision informed by veterinarians, an infectious disease expert. We talked to government officials and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I think, you know, the decision that came, the announcement that came last, uh, this week, uh, you know, followed, followed a review of that evaluation of the risks of the event. And again, I think very remote, <clears throat> excuse me, negligible, I think is what we said in our press release. Um, you know, we, we just decided to cancel the event out of caution. Because, as you said, the disease, with the way that we can travel today to any parts of the world and do it very quickly, uh, the spread of disease like African swine fever could indeed take place. And this is a disease for which we have no vaccine at the moment, do we? That's right. Um, it would be devastating for U.S. pork producers and others in agriculture if it, if it were to be introduced into the U.S. swine herd. Um, you know, we're, as I'm sure you know, we're already facing significant trade headwinds. If we had a disease like that, it would immediately close our export markets. And U.S. pork is a very export-dependent farm sector, uh, and that would just be disastrous for our farmers. That's why pork producers were concerned when the president was talking about shutting the border between the U.S. and Mexico, because Mexico is an important market for our pork. Oh, it's our it's our number one volume market. Uh, it, it represents a uh, I think around I believe it was around close to one and a half billion dollars uh, of pork shipped to Mexico last year, and uh, that's you know that, that has been a very important uh, market for U.S. pork. And right now, we're facing twenty percent retaliatory tariffs because of the trade dispute taking place between Mexico and the United States. And uh, that has that has really hurt our farmers. That's uh, according to Dermot Hayes, who is a economist at Iowa State University. That's costing pig farmers twelve dollars per hog uh, because of the uh, retaliatory tariffs there. So again, you know, shutting off the the trade with Mexico altogether would would obviously compound that problem. 
So let's talk about the makeup of the attendees at World Pork Expo. First of all, of course, most of them from the United States, but you do get producers and people involved in the industry from around the world, do you not? We do. Uh, We have about 20,000 people come through the event over three days uh, at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. And um, people come from about 40 different countries. And as you said, it's mostly the U.S. and other parts of North America. But uh, we do get visitors from China and, um, again, about 40 countries, uh, including those that are African swine fever positive. So, uh, yeah, that you know that was the primary factor. Um, the, the 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 risk that does exist is because of the the travelers who would be coming from those regions. So let's talk about other events in Washington because you have an annual event uh, involving pork producers. Talk to me about that. Yeah, we actually do it twice a year, and uh, we call it our Legislative Action Conference, um, also known as a a fly in. Uh, and we have our pork producers from all over the country fly into Washington, D.C., and uh, they, they, they come to meet with their members of Congress uh, and talk about uh, issues that are, you know, legislation that is another policy that is really important to U.S. pork and the rest of agriculture. And with or, with or without this week's announcement on World Pork Expo, on top of that list, we're, we're discussing issues related to um, animal, foreign animal disease prevention and preparedness. And specifically, um, our producers were asking their representatives in Congress to support appropriations funding for 600 more agriculture inspectors for U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Um, the USDA and Customs and Border Protection have done some very uh, they really ramped up our biosecurity at our borders. I think they've been very responsive to the threat of African swine fever and other foreign animal diseases. Uh, they they recently added more uh, canines to the, what we call the Beagle Brigade, uh, the, the dogs, the beagles at the air, airport that can sniff out uh, contaminated meat that, is, that people um, attempt to bring across the border illegally. And we just think we need to keep strengthening our borders from a biosecurity perspective. And we need those 600 agriculture inspectors added to make sure we're doing everything we can to keep the disease out. There much discussion on the implementation of the farm bill that uh, hog producers like or don't like? Uh, well, the farm bill uh, was a great uh, win for us last year. Typically, U.S. pork does not have much to ask in the way of the farm bill. Uh, this year, the, the one that passed um, late last year, the 2018 farm bill, uh, we had for well over a year, as that uh, piece of legislation was being formed, we were pushing hard for uh, mandatory funding for a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. Um, unlike African swine fever, fortunately we do have vaccines that can uh, treat foot and mouth disease and, uh, and, you know, contain it and eradicate it. Uh, that is another big threat um, to the, the, the um, at U.S. agriculture. And um, it would cost over 10, if we had an outbreak of foot and mouth disease, it would cost over, you know, $200 billion um, uh, to, to deal with that over 10 years. And it would span, you know, pork, cattle, um, 
crops. And so uh, now that that legislation is in the hands of the USDA, they need to implement the farm bill. They're, you know, in the process of forming their plans around that. And there is some discretion and we are pushing hard for the USDA to implement the farm bill as Congress intended and to fund that vaccine bank. If we had an outbreak, we right now we do not have enough vaccine vaccine in the United States readily available to quickly contain the disease. So um, we need we need to fund that bank so we can we can quickly contain an outbreak if it were to occur. Many of us, of course, remember what happened in the United Kingdom back in the late nineties and the devastation that foot and mouth disease caused there. And uh, we simply want to keep that out of the United States. That's one of the reasons, Jim, I frequently talk to people who are traveling internationally. And it's so easy today, of course, that way. But when they get back on the plane to come into the United States and before they land in the United States, that flight attendant hands them a card with some very important questions. And those are questions that should be answered and answered honestly, particularly the one dealing with, have you been on a farm? We want to know, and we want to know where it is. So I can't emphasize strongly enough that you fill out that card and answer the questions honestly. I've spent a couple of days at O'Hare Field with uh, our agricultural inspectors, and I've, you know, it's it's been kind of... Uh, uh, sad to watch mom and pop coming in from Japan or China to visit their kids who are here and bringing food items that were part of their growing up back in the country they're coming from. And, of course, that gets thrown away. They can't bring it in because of the rules and regulations that we have. So, again, I stress that. Now, when we talked yesterday afternoon, you talked about a possible visit to the White House. Can you talk about it? And did it happen? It did happen. We were really honored to have the president president of the National Pork Producers Council, David Herring. Uh, he was invited to an event uh, with President Trump. Um, it was on the topic of rural bro- broadband, um, and even more broadly than that, than that the, the deployment of uh, 5G wireless technology, which the United States is taking a leadership position in, in developing and deploying and uh, as you may know, w- rural broadband, making sure that uh, high, very advanced high-speed Internet access being available to uh, rural communities uh, is, a, is a big uh, uh, goal for the Trump administration. And so they, they announced plans for deployment of 5G and had representatives of you know, di- different parts of the country and different business sectors there represented to talk about its importance to, in, in our case, farming and and advanced farming technology and all that we can do by connecting our barns to the internet and controlling climate and just you know continuously improving how we take care of our pigs, uh, animal welfare being um, obviously our our top priority. So we, uh, our president David Herring, was able to be there with the president with a small group. Uh, they announced it from the Roosevelt Room, spent time with him in the Oval Office, and it it was a great honor. It was uh, uh, a great event. I assume Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue was there, or was he on the road somewhere else? One of his undersecretaries, Undersecretary Sensky, was there. Uh, I I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing uh, he may have been on the road somewhere. But uh, the FCC chairman was there um, to talk about the, the technology and 
Uh, it was a really great event. Now, a question from a listener that I have to ask you when he heard the cancellation. Who is going to consume the thousands of pork chops that you always served at the event at the Big Grill? What happened to them? <laughs> I'm, I am sure we will find consumers for that. Uh, it, it is disappointing that um, we can't hold the event. It's really an outstanding event where you know everybody involved in the pork supply chain is there to get business done, share new technologies, introduce new products um there's you know training and seminars that go on and of course um eating a lot of great pork uh, also goes on at that event and we're all disappointed we're disappointed for our, our industry and uh for des moines and the state of iowa which really benefits from that event it's a it's a significant source of revenue for my organization the national pork producers council but we're um we're on solid ground and we'll continue to carry out our advocacy work for for pork producers. Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough for getting up early, and uh, this is probably another lesson why you don't want to be a farm broadcaster, because this is normal get-up time for me for the last 40 or 45 years, but thank you for getting up in Washington, D.C. to join us here on the Saturday Morning Show. I, I was really glad to do it. Thanks for all you do. We appreciate it. Okay, talking to Jim Monroe, who is the Senior Director Communications for the National Pork Producers Council. We'll be back with more here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, we're about two minutes away from news headlines here on the Saturday Morning Show. And something that's been happening all too frequently so far in 2019 talking about losing friends. And we lost another one from the farming community in Illinois this week, Larry Joe Barshinger. He was known as Joe Barshinger, passed away earlier this week, a victim in an accident involving tree cutting and a tree that apparently fell on him. But uh, Joe was 72 years old. He and his wife, Phyllis, would have celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this year. And uh, he's no longer with us. The celebration of life will take place Monday at 11 a.m. at Calvary Lutheran Church in Lee, Illinois. And visitation will be on Sunday tomorrow from 3 to 7 p.m. at the church in Lee, Illinois. Joe Barshinger, longtime friend. He and his wife Phyllis would join us at events all the way from Setten the Mind, the Norwegian celebration in Westby, Wisconsin, to farm progress shows and other events involving agriculture. And, uh, we mourn his loss. We had a lot of them this year. Uh, Herb Dykeman over in Michigan, Conrad Leslie, just to name a couple that we have talked about. And that's one of the sad things of the, of the reports. But my dad always said the challenge of um, advancing maturity, which is my term for getting older, is you begin to lose your friends. And it's certainly proving to be the case. Well, Max Armstrong spent a good part of this week in Kansas City, Missouri at the annual meeting of the National Agri-Marketing Association. And he'll be checking in with us in the second half of the Saturday morning show and uh, talking to our market analyst this week. We're going to be talking to uh, uh, Carl 
uh, come on, uh, Alan Suderman, I'm sorry, get that one right, Alan Suderman of FC uh, Stone International, who has some interesting things to say about what's going on in the world of agricultural markets. Thank you, Roger. We're at 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. Max and I always look forward to this opportunity every week to talk about the world's most basic and important industry, producing food to feed the billions of people here on the planet, the world of agriculture and the technology that's happening every day to make it possible to produce enough food to feed the growing world population. And uh, I did a story earlier this week on the amount of food that is wasted in this country every year. Food that is simply thrown away would be enough to feed a large population in some of the hungrier parts of the world. And uh, the month of April is a month that uh, we have a month or a day for everything in the United States. And uh, the month of April in the world of food is to cut back and cut the amount of food that ends up in landfills and garbage bags across the country. So you might make note of that because we can feed the world if we don't throw a lot of it away. We really can't. So anyway, as we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show, we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week again, picking on Congress. Yes, I am keeping score of what's happening that's really important in the halls of the Senate and the House in Washington, D.C., What kind of accomplishments are we seeing out of those two legislative bodies? Well, as we look back at the past week, anything on approving the new trade agreement with Canada, Mexico, and the United States? Anything on doing some positive work on immigration legislation? to assure that we'll not have the long backups at the border, particularly our southern border between Mexico and the United States. Any accomplishment on legislation there? Didn't see any. Any legislation accomplishment on other trade negotiations with the uh, People's Republic of China or with the European Union, both Areas where we're working on trade agreements, but waiting for activity that will lead to legislative approval by the members of Congress. As I look at that and many other activities that really on the plate for Congress, I didn't see any plus scorecard for last week. I didn't see any accomplishment of legislation on important issues that mean a great deal to all the citizens of the United States. And so again, I ask, when is Congress going to get down to the work of legislating for the citizens of the United States? When are we going to have border protection? to keep unwanted aliens out of the borders of the United States just isn't happening. And so as I watch all of this lack of activity, 
I'm becoming more inclined to think we do need term limits, particularly in the halls of Congress. We have it in the White House. Why shouldn't we have it for the elected officials in Congress? Term limits that would let those voted into office know that you're working for the citizens of the United States, all of us, and that we expect you to accomplish some good work for all of us. Let's get to work. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. This is a presentation of Tribune Radio Networks, 20 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, coming up, we're going to... uh, head to Kansas City and join Max Armstrong at that annual meeting and gathering of the National Agri-Marketing Association. That will happen when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. Max Armstrong spent several days with a lot of other people from the world of agricultural communications, promotion, and advertising at the annual meeting of the National Agri-Marketing Association. And there were people there involved in marketing agricultural products, particularly from the grain fields and the livestock feedlots of the United States. And uh, one of those gentlemen, one of our favorite analysts, Alan Suderman. Alan, well, I tell you what, let's go to Max and he'll introduce him. From INTLFC Stone, we were joined by Arlen Suderman. And I pointed out to Arlen that just about everybody's talking about China. China. China comes into the conversation all the time. How long will it be, Arlen, before there's some agreement on trade? Well, President Trump says we're several weeks away yet, and and I think nobody really knows. We're down to the last 5 or 10%, but that's the toughest amount to really negotiate. It's primarily the enforcement language. As you know, China has made lots of agreements, including the WTO agreement to get in, and it's kept very few of them. So the administration wants to have strong enforcement language. China's willing to make promises, but uh, they're not willing to make uh, agreement to enforcement language. So we'll see. They need an agreement. Is there a feeling as to how much grain could move as a result of an agreement? I mean, is anybody using any figures, plugging in numbers? you hearing any rumors? Yeah, there's a lot of speculation. Now, what we're hearing on the ground in China, rumors in China, and we've been hearing a lot of stuff for quite some time from our customers there, is... Uh, that uh, the deal will entail 40 million metric ton of soybeans, 20 million metric ton of corn, and 10 million metric ton of wheat. Now, over what time span, we don't know. We've generally heard from the U.S. side that this is a six-year agreement to 2025. So if we assume a worst-case scenario spread out over six years, that really doesn't do anything for soybeans with the big surplus we have. It helps with wheat. Um, It's not a loan factor. With corn, if you combine it with the ethanol and DDGs that we hear in agreement as well, it is a significant factor. It is very bullish, the market. Um, But here again, rumors, and we'll have to see what's actually in the language. What do you see in terms of pressures from both sides to get some kind of an agreement? Well, on the U.S. side, it's primarily political. Uh, President Trump uh, has shown that he's willing to uh, pay the price, so to speak, to get a good deal economically, but he may not be willing to pay the price to not get reelected. And so he needs the markets doing well, and for the markets doing well, we probably need a trade agreement soon, and that's what China's been counting on. On the Chinese side, they admit that they had been dragging their heels waiting for the Mueller report to come out. And once they heard the Mueller report results, they said, 
said, okay, he's probably going to win re-election. We need to work with that risk. Economically, they're willing to pay the pain, but what they don't like is how this administration has shown the spotlight on the practices that they're doing in their trade globally, and they want to get the attention off of that. And the longer this goes, the worse it gets for them, raising the risk that the next president will also keep the pressure on. And the Democratic Party's been coming behind President Trump on these structural issues as well. So they want to get it off the table as quickly as possible. African swine fever is a big issue, growing issue in China. Does that figure into the trade negotiations at all, Arlen? It really does, because China consumes uh, 49% of the world's pork and 28% of the world's meat supply. And right now, hog feeding is down about 40%. We estimate that the consumer will see shortages by the fourth quarter of this year in China. They cannot afford social unrest, high inflation, so they need to get a deal so they can remove tariffs and and start feeding the meat supply by way of imports. Pork is important to them. It's their number one food of choice, particularly fresh pork. It's the number one driver of food inflation. So this plays into a pre Presumably, fairly quick approval. Quick, I mean, sometime this year of getting a trade agreement. That would be the sense. Uh, the ag markets have become tired of waiting, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Hang on, we want to talk with you a little bit more here about it. Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. We'll be right back. That interview recorded earlier this week in Kansas City for the event taking place there, an annual event the National Agri-Marketing Association Annual Conference. That involves people like Max and me and broadcasters and writers. It involves people who are involved in the sale of farm goods and inputs. And in the advertising world, they advertise the products, the commercials that you hear here on WGN Radio from various agricultural companies across the country. And it attracts a lot of people. Now, there are veterans uh, like Max and me who have been attending those for quite a while. But encouraging is the fact that the number of students who are studying agricultural communications and merchandising and promotion and all of that activity, number of students increasing every year. Young people who are excited and anxious about getting into the profession of communications for agriculture. And we need those people, particularly with the new technology that we have, the social media that we have. And so a good turnout of students also at the NAMA meeting in Kansas City. And uh, every year they honor some people who have made accomplishments in the world of agriculture. And uh, there were several this year, but one that I want to mention is uh, Fuzzy Duvall, who is president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. He was honored for his work as an association leader in the world of agriculture. He was not able to attend because, as I mentioned uh, earlier this uh, spring, his wife is having a bout with cancer, and so he could not attend the event in Kansas City to accept his award. But uh, it's a great organization. I've been a member. Max has been a member for a long time. And uh, we not only enjoy the knowledge that we get from it, but also the friends that are made in the world of NAMA, National Agri-Marketing Association. So now let's get back to Max. 
Arlen Suderman from INTL FC Stone back with us here. Let's talk about corn. Everybody's getting a little bit uneasy about the inability to get in fields, yet we're not that far behind, are we, pal? Well, officially, no, we're really not, but sure has farmers worry because from a practical fieldwork standpoint, they are. We got very little fieldwork done last fall, which we would have been fine if we had a perfect spring. Obviously, we're not having that perfect spring, and uh, with snow continuing to fall in the northwest, midwest, rain over many different areas, uh, forecast still holds out hope that we may get it done. I think we'll see a lot of nitrogen maybe switch from gas over to liquid. Um, there's some question whether we'll get it all on or not or get sufficient quantities on, farmers when, will pay more money. When, when, when will the market really get concerned, though, about uh, late corn planting, delayed corn planting? Is it going to have to be in May? Well, the farmers think it ought to be in March 15th that they get concerned, but uh, uh, the farmers done so well over the years that the market assumes that if we get 10 days in May, they'll get it all done, because the farmers done so well in the past. Uh, typically, we, we get in late April, and the forecasts start peering into the first half of May, that's when the market starts paying more attention. We do have a history for being able to plant it quickly, and it just takes, what, five to seven days, and you've gotten the lion's share of the crop in as long as that weather is cooperating. Yeah, and I think the real concerns are going to narrow down to some of those wettest areas of the Midwest. We've had a few in the south, although many of them have dried out, but particularly the northwestern Midwest is going to be a concern. Snow melt, and then we've got cool temperatures really coming in for much of the next 30 days below normal temperatures in that area, and that's going to slow the drying out process. And then, of course, we have the river valleys uh, where we had the flooding. So we're going to have higher prevented planting acres this year, which have, last year was really well below normal. I think this year we'll go back to normal, maybe above normal prevented plant. Recalling the capability for a market to rally during the spring planting season and knowing how much bearish news we've had already, what's the potential for a meaningful spike to give uh, an operator a meaningful opportunity to market? Well, keep in mind that uh, our trade is dr largely driven by computers these days without human human intervention and so those computers drive prices too high and they drive prices too low and until the momentum or the charts change they keep driving it in the direction they're going and that's the situation we've been in so we have now record short hedge fund positions in the corn market as a result of that the computers driving this so if we were to get something to scare them out of those position uh, positions uh, we could quickly see a 20 25 percent rally and depending if it was was related to a trade agreement, something related to China, it could be larger than that. Time could be of the essence for the producer to act. We've seen that in the not-too-distant past. Yeah, we really have. and uh, You have to be ready. We really have to be ready, and we have to be ready on both sides. I think soybeans are very vulnerable to a collapse, corn to the upside, so it takes very different strategies for risk management. There are already some cash marketing opportunities uh, because of the basis, are there not? Because of the basis, because of the carry in the futures market, both give you some opportunities, and it varies by region, but uh, this is business. We need to hit a lot of singles this year rather than waiting for the home run. It's always a treat to sit with you and visit with you, sir. Thanks a lot, Arlen. Thank we appreciate it. Thank you, Max. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And our thanks to Max for checking in from Kansas City with that report this week. And uh, every week, of course, here on the Saturday Morning Show, we talk to somebody who is personally involved in the markets to get their view of what's happening. And there's been a lot happening or not happening in the case of trade negotiations. You know, we talk so much about the uh, trade war, if you want to call it that, 
uh, or the disagreement between China and the United States. But we have other trade issues that need resolving, too, and Congress just isn't doing it. The uh, approval of the what I call NAFTA two, the uh, agreement that was hammered out last year between Canada, Mexico and the United States still needs the approval of Congress. And we haven't gotten that. And as it drags out, it's beginning to have an impact on some of our agricultural trade with our neighbors to the north and our neighbors to the south. And then we have the negotiation between the U.S. and the European Union. European Union has given us challenges on the use of technology, not accepting some of the products that we export because they don't like the technology that's being used here in this country. And we need action on that. And Japan, since we did not uh, uh, take place in the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, we pulled out of that. Uh, Japan is making agreements with other countries, and uh, we need to come to an agreement with Japan, one of our major trading partners. As uh, Jim Monroe mentioned earlier in the program, from a dollar value standpoint, very important importer of agricultural products from the United States. So there is a lot of work that's not getting done that needs to get done rather quickly. But I talked about infrastructure last week on Samuelson Says. Uh, Congress isn't doing anything with it, but the Department of Agriculture, or USDA, has announced it's investing $485 million to upgrade rural electric systems and reduce energy costs. And the funding includes nearly $7 million for smart grid technologies that improve system operations and monitor grid security. USDA providing financing through the electric loan program to improve rural electric infrastructure in Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin. And the investments being made by USDA will help build or improve 2,635 miles of line. So that's at least a help because some of these uh, electric uh, systems from the Rural Electric Cooperative, the REA, as a matter of fact, I've mentioned this many times, because one of the questions I'm asked today by younger people is what is the biggest change in technology you have seen in your lifetime in agriculture? And I not only have an answer, but I have a date, April 11, 1947, the day the Rural Electric Co-op hooked the Samuelson farm up to electricity. We had to wait that long after the war because so much of the material used for the uh, building of electric lines across rural America just wasn't available. But finally, on April 11th of 1947, we got electricity. And my mother threw away the hot irons that she would put on the wood cook stove to iron. 
we no longer had to put perishable food in the basket on the end of a rope and drop it down into the cistern to keep it cool during the summertime. We got a milking machine. All of those things had happened, and that's why I still call it, and I remind my grandchildren, without that accomplishment and innovation, uh, we wouldn't have everything else we have today in the world of technology and social media. So I'm glad to see that uh, they're beginning to put some money into improving the electricity situation in rural America. Well, we're going to come to uh, check news headlines and more here as we continue on the Saturday morning show. Ahead of news time, uh, let's take a quick look at where we ended trade in grain and livestock yesterday, the final trading day of the week, and that means we'll be able to tell you where we start trading on Monday. First of all, Looking at the grain trade, July wheat gained three cents a bushel yesterday. It will start trading Monday at four dollars sixty-eight and a half cents. July corn down, or I should say, up half a cent yesterday, three sixty-nine and a quarter. And July soybeans ended the day unchanged, and will start trade Monday at nine dollars eight and three quarter cents a bushel. Don't know if the uh, lean pork futures will have the uh, uh, volatility it had with the uh, daily limit up or limit down moves this past week. But the June lean hog contract ended yesterday with a gain of 60 cents a hundredweight. It'll start trading at $98.50 Monday. June cattle up a dollar five at 121.45. April feeder cattle down 12 cents at 145.42. Well, that's our time here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks to uh, Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work for us. Thanks to all of you for listening and joining us here every Saturday on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.